This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Kevin Powell is back. Um, In addition to your latest um, grocery shopping with my mother, which is a collection of amazing poetry and the 15 other books that you've done. What, what else are you working on? Uh, well, it's, it's 15 books in total. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm actually, um, my next two books, well, the, the, you remember that Tupac book? That's still happening. <laughs> the biography of Tupac Shakur. I'm actually, that's part of the reason why I've been um, doing a lot of research, going back and researching ancient Africa. So this is all gratuitous, but I'm um, working on the Pac book. And then um I got an offer that I couldn't turn down. Uh, a publisher offered to do a collection of my writings over 30 years. So the Kevin Powell what? Reader. Yeah, writings, um, interviews that I've done with people ranging from bell hooks to pop, Tupac, and a lot of other folks is happening. Plus my some a couple of my speeches and interviews in there as well. Like with it's 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 um it's humbling, you know, because I had to go back. I actually had my very first piece when I was first published piece when I was 17 is in a book. That was that's what opens the book. Um, I realized it had a lot of bad writing, but uh, luckily I have a few good things and decent things. And so I'm really excited about the, the collection too. Uh, you know so what that's though? Cool. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, we're different in that. I don't keep anything like you kept, mm. you kept, I keep nothing. Like I'm always on to the next, which is, I think it's a, a superpower. I don't spend huh. a lot of time, you know, reminiscing, going back, but I appreciate what you said when the caller said, you know, um, I wish you were here 10, 15 years ago, what have you. And I'm like, 10, 15 years ago, I wasn't this person, you know, mm. to, to be able to look at the, the, the arc of your growth through your writing is a gift that I, I can't give myself because I don't really mm. have any of my writing to go back to say, well, I do have books, but I never reread a book after I've done it. It's done. I'm either. like, boom, let's move on. What's the next one? What's the next one? But to see something you wrote at 17 must be, ooh. Well, you know, it's funny powerful. you say that because I, I'm the same way. I Articles, blogs, poems, I write them, books, and then I never read them again. But this process, I've been working on the the reader all year, just as I've been working on a Tupac book all year. And it forced me to go back and read stuff I hadn't looked at in years and find stuff. And what you also learned too, is that a lot of stuff from the nineties and before, even the early 2000s wasn't even digital, still isn't digitized. And so luckily I do have like a lot of files and I save stuff. You know, I used to cut, cut our articles out back in the day. I save stuff from places. It, it, it's humbling. You know, I do think that we should do it periodically because it also is a conversation at this stage in our journey, yours as well, not just your writings, but I mean, your, your show, these are our, these are our archives and someone's going to, I mean, listen, you know, Karen, I go back and listen to interviews of people from the sixties and fifties on radio stuff. Like I'm on YouTube all the time, you know, and someone's going to cope years from now, they're going to come back and listen to the Karen Hunter show. What was going on in the 2020s? What was going on in the mm. 2020s? And so that's, you know, and I know I kind of call us young elders because we're, we're that generation, generation X, we're in between the millennials and some of us have children that are millennials or generation Z. And then we have the civil rights generation ahead of us, the boomers ahead of us. We're like in the middle. We remember when none of this stuff was happening digitally, you know, there was no satellite radio, there was any of this stuff, but also at the same time, we literally saw it all happen. So we have a really interesting position. So I do think that we have to spend some time just kind of reflecting. It, it, it forced me to just really um, be like, wow, man, you really, I mean, I I, I remember being a 20-year-old writer writing about Howard Beach. You know, remember Howard Beach? Wow, and 
what, yeah, what was his a, name? Uh, Yusef, Michael Griffin. You, Michael Griffin. And then it was Yusef. Uh, Yusef Hawkins was Benson Hurst. Yes, Benson Hurst. I was in the middle of all of that as a young journalist, man, before before the music journalism, before all of that stuff happened, because I wanted to be a news reporter. I had no interest in being a music journalist. I didn't even know what a music journalist was. But, you know, I did read Nelson George and Greg Tate and Lisa Jones and Lisa Kennedy and Carol Cooper, and those folks and Harry Allen at the Village Voice. Yes. There was a lot of black writers at the Village Voice. And so I paid attention to what they were doing. But I also religiously read Shout out to Peter Noel when he was at the City Sun. And, you know, I read the Amsterdam News. I ended up writing for the Amsterdam News. And it was just, um, and so I do think, like, you know, it's okay to say, wow, um, I'm still, I'm as hungry as I was as a 20-something, as a writer, even in my 50s now. I'm just as hungry. But the, putting together the collective stuff made me say, man, okay, this is cool, but what are you going to do for the next 30 years, next 40 years? You got mm. work to do. You know what I mean? Ironically, so that's the Sankofa. That's the Sankofa for me. Sank- Sorry. All right. No, no, don't apologize. When you said Peter Noel, I wouldn't be sitting here. Peter Noel didn't go on vacation. Oh, wow. Yeah, he went on vacation at WWRL. Wow. And the producer reached out because he read a column and asked if I would fill in for him mm. while he was on vacation. Mm. Peter Noel never came back from vacation because I housed <laughs> the week that they gave me. And they were like, okay, Peter Noel, goodbye. Uh, wow. Karen Hunter, would you like would you like to be on the radio? And that happened. Uh, I would not wow. have even thought, because I wasn't thinking about doing radio. You know, mm. but like, what's the next book? You know, mm. about to murder this journalism thing. Wow. But I fell in love with this uh, medium. To be able to talk in real time and talk, people call up and you get to process your own thoughts. And I do have some of my radio from 25 years ago. And I was talking the same stuff today. So I want to ask you, and that's wild, right? There's some people Mm -hmm. listening to me right now that listened to me on WWRL 25 years ago. And I was talking the same stuff that I'm talking today, which tells me that we haven't moved too much uh, ahead freedom-wise, right? I Mm -hmm. I don't want to be talking about this stuff 25 years from now. That will piss me off. And I'm not somebody that needs to have a career wrapped in in black, uh, lack of black progress. To me, if your if your whole career is rooted wow. in black people not moving forward, you are useless to us. I agree. So, Kevin Powell, how do we honor our ancestors, honor what happened to us and not sit in that trauma to the point that it paralyzes us from building the world that we want to live in? You can't move without a plan. You have to have a plan of action. You know, I do these speeches all the time around the country and even overseas um, for me, it's six six areas where Black people need to be empowered. It's spiritually, it's politically, it's culturally, it's financially, and it's two areas that we often don't like to talk about. You mentioned one of them earlier, mental health. You actually mentioned both of them, mental health and physical health. So spiritually, number one, politically, number two, culturally, number three, financially, number four, uh, 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 mental health, number five, and physical health, number six. And so the thing is, like, if you go to a doctor, like I go to a holistic doctor in here in Brooklyn, New York, where I've been for a long time, he gives an analysis of here's where you are. And so we do need to look back. We need to know where we came from. That's our foundation. Where do we come from? How did we get here? You know, but then the question becomes, OK, what do we need to do to go forward? You know what I mean? It's like if I have a family history of diabetes and high blood pressure, which I do, that's why I'm a vegan. That's why I'm very careful about how much salt and sugar that I take into my body. That's why I'm constantly drinking cups of water. You know what I mean? That's why I'm heading to the gym after this. One of the things I have to do after this show is go to the gym, go work out. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that I haven't fallen off the wagon. Of course, I have many times. I mean, you know, because we have all these forces coming at us from different places. But 
every when I think about it, inside of my phone, in my notes section of my iPhone, is literally here's your daily rituals. Here's the things you need to do, and then I also know there's things I have to do for the larger community, like you what you do for the larger community. I'm I'm excited to hear about you know the narrative and the newbies. I mean, this radio show, like this is an incredible platform, and your writings. You know what I mean? Because it's like you said something that was so funny, Karen. People are literally. There, we don't have to say any names, and I'm sorry they even said Dr. Gates' name earlier. No disrespect to anyone. But what I was trying to say earlier is that stop saying that Black folks were involved in the slave trade if you're not going to have the same courage and even more courage to say that the ultimate responsibility of, of the slave trade that brought our people all over the world is white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism. And the first global economy in the world was, was called slavery. And we had nothing to do with that global economy other than being products of that global economy. And then when it comes to us who are benefiting. There are people who we used to call poverty pimps. There are people who literally only exist off the misery of Black people suffering in America and globally. And they have made, there are people who have made millions of dollars. They are famous. They have radio shows, TV shows, best-selling books. You know who I'm talking about. You know what I mean? And But if the thing for me, the question we have to ask fundamentally, Karen, what is a leader? They, he, she, they, whatever they identify themselves, one, a leader changes the direction of the conversation, creates a new vocabulary. That's number one. You do that. Number two, that person, those folks who call themselves leaders, create an institution, business, something that is actually going to redirect and help to empower people. You know what I mean? There's a reason why so many Black men, for example, say the most important book they've ever read in their life was the autobiography of Malcolm X, because even if he just did nothing else, that book literally saved my life literally saved my life. By the time I put that book down as an 18 year old, I was like, I, I gotta do something else. That's what I'm talking about. A leader, if they are serious about being a leader, then you create other leaders. You create other leaders. Leaders create other leaders. It's not, you know, me, 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 and I, I, I. It's like, what can I do to help other people to see what I see, to do what I'm doing, to also have a plan of action, no matter where they are. But I think that's the critical thing. And so we can't go forward if we keep following people who are, preachers at churches who have all these name brand jewelry and name brand suits and are pimping people out of money. And like, why are the people in the church still poor? You know what I mean? We can't be leaders if these folks are who call us, some of these folks call themselves elected officials or politicians. They just move from one position to another. They have no idea to empower. I mean, why is it that I've been to all 50 states in this country, every major city, medium city, small towns, the black part of the cities look exactly the same. How many more chicken shacks, you know, barbershops, beauty salons, <laughs> rent centers, check cashing places? You feel me for a second? And you say that you're an elected official. This is my district. You should be ashamed that your district even looks like that. You know what I mean? And so it's like, you know, or your church should be ashamed that it's sitting there with your church. Church looks great, but then surrounding you is all of this decadence. I'm like, what is the plan? And so you're right. What's the plan? And the plan has to be, how do we empower ourselves holistically? And that's what's been missing. And I really believe, Karen, with all due respect, I think you are one of the few people who actually has done stuff. I think there's other folks. I think we also, as Black people, have got to stop chasing people just because they have a million Twitter yeah. followers or a million Instagram followers. But pay attention. I can tell you for a fact, Karen, I don't even mention your people. don't even know how much how, how long I know you. I've known you. Your name comes up all the time. I was listening to Karen Hunter's show. I was listening to the Karen Hunter show. Karen said this. Karen says that because you have integrity. You have ideas and you your your own you're you're the very embodiment of do something, do something that's going to move the needle forward. We got to stop following people just because they're famous, they have money, they're celebrities. If they're not doing anything, why are we following them other than just being sheep? 
on that, um, and I agree with everything you said. <laughs> Kevin Powell is here. Kevin Powell is here, and I'm not just, you know, I, I, the frustration that I have, because I'd rather sit and read and write. I'd rather not <laughs> sit and plot and plan, because I'm sitting and plotting and planning, because I'm like, we've been in the same cycle for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Like, where, when are we going to move out of it? But more importantly, to the woman king, <sighs> The beauty of that movie is that it didn't center whiteness. It didn't center a, a power structure. The power structure was in the community. The community knew what power it had, and it went out and did it. And there's a scene, I'm, I'm going to give away a little bit, where she defies, the, the you know, Viola character defies what the king wanted her to do because it was the right thing to do. That's yep. leadership. You, you could tell me what to do, whether you're my mother, my father, my president. If it's wrong, I should have the conviction to go do the right thing and, and suffer right. the consequences. And she was willing to do that alone. She was willing to do that alone. But because of her leadership, the people following her would not let her go alone. I feel mm -hmm. like, Kevin, what does it take? Because my frustration is we follow rappers, singers, <laughs> People, they're our leaders, right? They get to sit with the pr next president. How? No other community puts their entertainers in front of world leaders to make decisions about what's happening with us. Why do we do that? And how can we stop it? Like, I'm just, I'm so well, sick of it. It's this, there's been this incredible manipulation of our communities. You know, um, I believe that Almost as almost immediately as the civil rights movement was ending in the late sixties, and that's for a marker of the assassination of Dr. King. But we know other stuff happened after that with the civil rights movement, Black Power movement, Black Liberation. When we know that, but it's there was a, an instant kind of redirection of things, and so and we know we were devastated. You know, heroin destroyed our destroyed parts of our community in the seventies. We know what AIDS and crack did to our communities in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, and we're still dealing with the the residual effects of that. But there also something else interesting happened was the explosion of the celebrity culture. This happened even before before social media took off. And so think about it, when you go back to the 1960s, you know, you were very clear that, okay, Dr. King, uh, 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 um, Fannel Hamer, Ella Baker, Malcolm X, those sisters and brothers, Bayard Rustin, James Baldwin, you know, those are folks who were visionaries for the community. You know what I mean? Who wrote better than Baldwin? You know, Lorraine Hansberry, you know what I'm saying? But they were clear, okay, people like Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier, or Diane Carroll, these are celebrities. And they're, or Aretha Franklin, they're celebrities. They're going to help to support the vision of the people who actually have the ideas. I mean, you're, you're, you're both a, you're a writer. I mean, yeah, you could say you're a media person, but you are a leader because you also have built something. You've always built something. And so as long as I've known you, you've been building something. You've had something that is an institution. Again, did you have an institution that's actually helping to empower people? And so we have flipped it where we put people who oftentimes are not qualified to speak on behalf of us. And I love sports. I'm a huge sports fan. I'm, you know, I'm a hip hop head for life. I mean, I curated the first exhibit on the history of hip hop at the Brooklyn Museum 20 years ago. I'm a diehard hip hop head. My next book is on Tupac Shakur. But I also know because I was raised up as an activist that part of being a leader is you actually have to read hashtag my saying, hashtag read, study, travel. You actually have to read and study and travel. Just look behind. I'm a, I, Karen and I are talking voice to voice, but I can see her on screen. I see Ida B. Wells to her over her right shoulder. I see Tupac Shakur over her left shoulder. And I see books and videotapes, DV. I see stuff around her, which says she is a digester of information, of knowledge. How are you going to be a leader if you can't even articulate 
what happened in the past, connect it to the present, and they remix it, which is what Karen Hunter's calling for, remix it for a plan of action going so we can go forward. If you can't do that, that's why we end up being in a state of paralysis because people think just because they have a platform on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter that they can just put anything out there. I mean, some of the stuff that I read, and I don't mean, I mean, I say this with all love to all people. You can tell people who read and study and travel and actually are critical thinkers. And you could think, you could tell people who just because they have a laptop or a cell phone and an opinion that they can just put anything out there, like the people who have been trashing the Woman King without even seeing the movie, without even knowing anything about the history of Black women from ancient Africa to the present. There would be no civil rights movement in America if it wasn't for Black women protesting and boycotting in the 30s and 40s and 50s before Rosa Parks. But if you don't read, study, travel, you don't even know that. So that's what the problem is. Kevin Powell, uh, also a leader. Some of you may have seen him and on the first uh, Real World. That little show. That, that little, little show. show. Yeah, and I want, I hesitate to even bring it up, but Heather B's on the channel, so I can't not say that that's the first time some of us saw what Kevin up, Heather Powell. B. Yes, the Heather B, B, B at noon right here, Eastern on Urban View. Um, would love to see Kevin Powell come in more. That said, um, your your in your journey into manhood, I feel like, and I've been talking to Larry Daniel Favors about this because we're about to launch. Shout out uh, to Larry. Shout yes, out to Brooklyn. Yes, Brooklyn in the building. We need a. Uh, we're about to invest in creating a young person's place in Nubia, where young people power it, where young people have com- conversations with each other, not the, the, you know not you know puppeted by uh, adults. <laughs> Rites of passage, what into man, like manhood, is that something that we should be exploring? Like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Um, well, Viola, Viola talks with Oprah about this uh, in her interview, and she said growing up, she did not, you know, to her, being a woman was white, it was blonde, it was dainty, it yeah. was willowy, it was soft-spoken, light on your feet. It was all of the things that she was not, right? And so she questioned, am I, am I a woman? You know, am I am I feminine enough to be considered, you know, for these roles? And with this one movie, I think she shattered. And she said, you know, being in here, it, it you know, I, I what I was was a woman in a different way, she said. But it's that they, they stilted her imagination of self and she's broken that open. And yeah. it's the power of artistry. She said, you know, we don't have boundaries, as I said earlier. So moving forward, a rite of passage, I don't imagine it being binary. You know, I don't imagine it being rights for boys into manhood, girls into womanhood, even though ancient Africa might have had that. What do you imagine for us moving forward? And are you optimistic? I am. You know, you asked me what I was working on. I also have moved in just like you moved into radio. I've moved into film. And my first documentary film, When We Free the World, will be out in the first half of 2023. It is a deep dive into manhood and fatherhood through the lens of black boys and black men. We literally have men and boys in a film from age 10, 11 to 90 something, Karen. We have black men and the males in a film, black men in a film who are straight, who are gay, who are trans, who are disabled, differently abled, who are short statured, little people. We have folks who are formerly incarcerated. We have folks who have been multiply incarcerated. We have folks who have PhDs in the film. What I wanted, to, we did a deep dive. When I say we have to go back and look at where we came from, we looked at the history of cinema 
And we said to ourselves, okay, you know, when you look about black male uh, images, you know, when have we ever seen all these different types of black males brought together? Like, you know, imagine if you really did have Baldwin and, 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 and Malcolm and Dr. King and Bayard Rustin in the same room having a conversation, two straight brothers and two gay brothers, all equally important to the civil rights movement. But because of homophobia in our community or other things in our community, you know, those kind of things didn't happen as much as they should have happened. And so that's the work. We've been working on this film for almost four years is, is literally in the editing phase now. And when you ask about a rights of passage program, I think manhood should be rooted, you know, honestly in, in uh, whew, peace and love and nonviolence. I think that manhood should be, uh, should not be rooted in the oppression of any other people. We should not be oppressing women. We should, as straight dudes, we should not, those of us who are straight like myself, we should not be practicing homophobia, transphobia. We should not be practicing ageism. I don't think that, you know, what Byron Hurt talks about in his film, Hazing, which people should watch on PBS streaming, Byron Hurt's film, Hazing on, on PBS streaming, you know, violence should not be the foundation of manhood. You know, only violence that I believe in, quote unquote, is self-defense. That's it. I don't believe in the things that I was taught growing up about being a boy, being a man. It wasn't a rights of passage program, but it's certainly called the black community. It's called the family structure. It's called the, the church. It's called school. It's called fights after school. It's called fights at lunchtime. I was taught that you had to fight. You know, I was taught that you had to go around grabbing girls' body parts when you started to start to see things and feel things in the third or fourth grade, which is now I realized that was we've been taught sexual assault. We've been taught to how to rape. You know, we were, taught, we were being taught as boys to participate in rape culture. You know what I mean? And so manhood has to be the opposite of that. And it's like, you know, how can I sit around and talk about, you know what, I, I, I am upset about George Floyd. I'm upset about Trayvon Martin. I'm upset about all these brothers getting blown away. But I don't value bodies of women and girls equally as I value my own body. You know what I mean? And it's just like, this is the kind of stuff we talk about. And even when you see the visceral responses to the woman king and a lot of men, unfortunately, having these reactions like, I don't want to watch this film. What's it about? Is it any good? I'm like, that's called sexism, brothers. That's called the notion that you think if a man didn't make something, if a man didn't create something, if a man is not centered, just how white people get upset when white folks are not centered, which Toni Morrison warned us about, then there's something somehow is not of value. And if you feel that black people should be centered and not white people, then you should also feel that it's equally valuable that women and girls are centered. I mean, you know, you when I was listening to Viola, Viola Davis's speech that you played earlier, Karen, I thought about something I've been wanting to ask my 79 year old mother for a long time now. What did you actually want to be when you were a girl? Mm. Especially when you didn't see anything that was positive about yourself anywhere. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I think that, you know, that rites of passage for any gender identity, no matter how we identify ourselves, the fundamental thing about it should be, I value myself. I wrote a piece for The Guardian that people could check out. You ask me what I'm doing. I have a piece about the queen, the king, the royal family. And I talked about how I was taught to worship them, which was worshiping whiteness and worshiping global racism, you know, when I was a child in the form of the wedding. Remember the wedding of Lady Diana and Prince Charles? Yes. And, then, you know, and it wasn't until years later I realized, wait a minute, these same people that are, they don't work. What job do they really have? They've benefited from the plunder of all these foreign lands of color, of working people, you know, and here they are sitting on this stuff and I'm being told that I should center them. I should, swing, I, you know, I, black people, we're spiritual people. And so I don't wish bad on anyone. I honor and, and I think it, we should mourn any death, but your death is not more valuable than this death. You know, your mother is not more valuable than my mother. You feel what I'm saying? 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so I just think that when we talk about a rise of passion, it, re- it really means reconstructing how we see ourselves and see the world in a way that's healthy and, 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 and not in a way that's wallowing in trauma after trauma, generation after generation. That's what a real rise of passion needs to be. And it needs to be a rise of passion that's not rooted in hurting anyone who might be different than us. Mm. Kevin Powell, uh, 15 books soon to be Oscar award winning. Not that that matters. Cause as long as we validate it and I, I demand that you screen your, your first documentary inside Nubia, we just did the Marcus Garvey documentary oh, wow. yeah, a couple of weeks ago, Roy Anderson screened it uh, with our thousand plus Nubians uh, who mm. joined us live for that with conversations. Um, and I want you to come in and talk about it. Uh, 866-801-8255 is the number. Kevin Powell is here. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about the responsibility that we have, uh, like you doing this film showing everything how do we get men in particular to understand that it's weak like you're showing your 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 fears you're showing your insecurities by being homophobic by being you know um uh, misogynistic but you know by being afraid you know by 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 saying oh i'm not following a woman like you're really telling on yourself oh there's a a gay guy in there you why are you concerned are you interested like you, your concern is is telling and and if and if you're not like that why do you care do you know what i'm saying like why does that bother you so much well i don't want my children your children are seeing things anyway and it's not some some of it's biological and you can't even stop it from happening and why would you want to does that mean you're not gonna love your child anymore like it's there's so many things that i think we need to work through that is rooted in that mental health piece because that disease needs to be addressed. And I think people aren't addressing it. They're just going out and hurting people more. You just said the magic word, uh, Karen. We've said it many years, hurt people, hurt other people. And so if you haven't dealt with your own stuff. You're going to just come perpetually hurt other people. I mean, you know, and I'm sure you've dealt with it on this show, the number of straight dudes who have felt the need to go kill trans black women. I mean, like, you know, what what kind of sick notion? I mean, it's it's, a, it's about power, a false sense of power. You know, you feel powerless as a, as, a, as a man, as a straight man, as a black man, however you identify yourself, and then you take it out on other people. I mean, you know, if, we, if we're honest about, you know, Art Kelly, if we're honest about Bill Cosby, that was about power, this false sense of power and who they can control. Look who they hurt, women. Look who they hurt, women. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, you know, what what kind of sick notion of power would you drug a woman and then have sex with her her unconscious body? I mean, what is this about? You know, what is it about? Why are you urinating on a 14-year-old girl and videotaping it? You know what I mean? And, you know, what's equally sick is that many people in our community knew this stuff was happening for years and years and years, and people wouldn't say anything about it. You know what I mean? Which is no different than how in the plantations, you know, the slaves under the thumb of the slave mass and the overseers, that whole system, were too afraid or whatever it was. They had so bought into everything that they just didn't say anything as stuff was happening. You know what I mean? Well, and I, I mean, just think- but I mean, there was also, you know, it's like Pavlov. Oh, if this person speaks out, their foot gets cut off. If this person speaks out, they get beaten right. to death. If this person speaks out, they're going to, you know, hang them and then keep their body up for everybody to see while we're picking cotton. So like Pavlov, you know, you have conditioned these minds to the brutality of what resistance will, you know, any resistance is going to come with some brutality. I rather live. 
as opposed to our maroon brothers and sisters, whether they're in Haiti, whether they're in the mountains in, in North Carolina, or whether they're in the island of Jamaica with Nanny, Nanny and those folk, realize I'd rather die. Or the, the millions of people that jumped overboard, I'd rather die than be in bondage because bondage is death. I don't well, know, you know. You know. Self-preservation. I'm smiling. I'm smiling. You're right. Uh, when I came home from college, my first semester, first first year of school, I had already become absorbed. You know, I was I had suddenly become a part of black history. I was like absorbing it everywhere. I talked for like a, a long time. Me and my mom. I, I'm an only child. Karen, after I was done talking, my mother just looked at me. She said, well, you know what they did to Dr. King, right? And I was like, I had no response for that, but I realized the residual fear of some of our people of what happened to Dr. King and Malcolm and other folks a generation later will say that if you do this, but I made a conscious decision a long time ago that I am not a coward. I'm not a coward. I don't believe in, I don't believe, I think that fear is a prison. And have I paid a price with my writing career, my speaking career? You know, uh, have I lost opportunities? Absolutely. But I figured it out because I also know that I, I wrote with God. I roll with God and I roll with the power of my ancestors, my ancestral spirit and, and ancestral forces. And I know that truth, as Dr. King said, crushed the earth shall rise again. And I just think that, you know, we make a decision. I decided a long time ago, I'm going to live a very simple, non-materialistic life. I don't need a lot of stuff, you know. Um, but what's most important to me is not being a coward. You know what I mean? I am not ever comfortable with being a coward and also having the courage to say I've made mistakes and I need to transform my life. I need to go in a different direction. If you'd have told me 25, 30 years ago, Kevin Powell, not only would you be speaking out against racism, which I certainly do, but you're going to be speaking out against sexism and homophobia and transphobia and ableism and all forms of oppression and hatred. You believe that any form of oppression is unacceptable. I'd have been like, nah, that ain't me. I'm just, I'm about black power, homie. And so I'm saying, you know, I had to make a, I, but I also encountered Audre Lord. I encountered Bell Hooks. I encountered Nikki Giovanni and Sonia Sanchez and all these amazing black women. And how could I ignore them? And what they forced me to do was to understand why my mother spoke to me the way she did when mm. I was growing up about the kind of man I needed to be. Mm. She could, my mother didn't understand what feminism was. She didn't understand what sexism was, but she did understand there's something wrong with the fact that black women have been there consistently for black men, but there's a number of black men, not all black men, but quite a few who are not there supporting black women in the same way. Case in point is the number of brothers on social media who are trashing the woman king without seeing it this weekend. Yeah. I was called a mammy for just calling for support i find that interesting that's insane isn't it i was like okay kevin powell audrey lord how so also I, I feel like you know when you're ready your your teacher shows up right because a lot of people i wish i had dr Carr when i was in no you may not have been ready for dr Carr. and dr Carr wasn't dr Carr until this day that yeah. we're in right now for you audrey lord and bell hooks like how T talk about how that happened well, you know, shout out to Asha Bendeli, the writer. Um, in 1992, 93, Miss Lord, I believe, died in 93. Um, Asha asked me if I was if I wanted to um, interview Audre Lord. I said yes because I had her, I was beginning to hear her name um, from from you know uh, sisters around me, black women around me, and Asha arranged it. It was a phone call. It was for, remember Emerge Magazine? It was for yes, Emerge of Magazine. Of course, um, Wil Wilbur um, Wilbur gave me fifteen thousand dollars to do a basketball yeah. league. He was wow. so dope. He was so dope. Emerge Magazine gave me the yes. opportunity, and I interviewed Miss Lord over the phone. She was coughing a lot because she was literally dying of cancer. Audrey Lord was literally dying of cancer, and it turned out to be the very last interview she ever did. 
And, you know, this is why it is important to go back because remember I said I'm putting together right now my collected writings and speeches, et cetera. The Kevin Powell Reader will include the original interview that I did with Audre Lorde for the first time to be published anywhere. You know what I mean? When the book comes out. And she kept telling me, there's a couple of things that stuck out to me. She talked about the treatment she experienced as a black woman, you know, in the movement. She talked about the experiences she she went through as a lesbian black woman. She talked about how people disregarded and disrespected James Baldwin and called him all kinds of names because he was openly gay. And, you know, but she also said to me, you know, just the thing, just do the work, no matter what you have to do the work, you have to do the work. And I remember how much love she had, just love that she had for people in spite of all the stuff that she went through. That stuck with me. And then, you know, Bell Hooks, I mean, I'm trying not to get emotional here, but I literally was one of the few people that was able to see her last December in her home um, as she was dying, Karen. I got to get, I got on the plane. I got the, I got the call, Kevin, you need to come. Belle loved you, you know, you need to be here. And I got to sit there. She couldn't talk at that point. Um, oof, Belle couldn't talk. But I realized that from the moment I met her in 1994, when I did an interview with Bell Hooks for Vibe magazine, uh, up to, you know, the present, I, there's a, people can go to YouTube. There's a conversation that she and I did at the new school. That's right there on news on, on, on YouTube. Uh, she literally transformed my life. Bell, Bell became as important to me as Malcolm X's autobiography. And you're talking about a woman who wrote 40, close to 40 books in 40 years. I mean, just prolific writing about a range of things. And she challenged me nonstop, you know, but Bell also had a deep love for black men. I mean, she literally wrote books about manhood. You know, why did she do that? Because she, she's like, Kevin, more brothers need to step up and write books, you know what I mean, about the subject matter. You know, she's the reason why I ended up writing books like the Black Male Handbook and things like that. But it was profound. Um, you know, being in her house and just holding her hand and just telling her that I love, I cried a lot, Karen. And I wrote a poem that's going to get published in a couple of weeks because uh, later this month, September 25th will be Bell's, would have been her birthday. Um, but I just, um, you know, you have to be open. We have to be open to to new experiences and new ideas. You know, it, it, you know, I ain't trying to tell people you got to believe in everything I believe in. What I believe in ultimately, Karen, you know, how do we move forward is love. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced a lot of hate in my life. I've been hateful in my life. I've been a hater in my life. I'm like, well, what is wrong with love? As my partner says, kindness, you know, and, 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 and having a, a, a basic regard for other people. You know what I'm saying? What is wrong with that? What is wrong with that? You know what I mean? And I think what has gotten lost in this whole thing with Queen Elizabeth II I don't forget it. It's like how poorly that royal family treated Princess Diana when she was alive. You know what I mean? And honestly, and I, I how they literally, if you're paying close attention, Repeating how, they've it. Treated, how they've been treating Harry and Meghan over the last, mm -hmm. just the last week. You know what I mean? If nothing else, Harry is the grandson of Queen Elizabeth II. I'm like, who, you know, he served 10 years in their military, but Prince Andrew who has been connected to Jeffrey Epstein. And, you know, we know that whole sexual escapades there. He gets to wear his military uniform. He didn't really do anything in the military. And, and, and Harry's being told, I mean, it's just like, you know, you, what, what I think about now is where's the love and where's the humanity that we have. And so that's, what's really important to me at this stage of my life. And it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't encountered people like bell hooks and Audre Lord, you know, and like, how can I talk about the, the, my community, the black community, and I don't even acknowledge the people in the community, you know, other than, you know, straight black dudes. Like, I, I mean, that's insane. That's just insane to me. Like women don't exist. Queer folks don't exist. Same gender loving folks don't exist. Disabled folks don't exist. You know, like we all matter. We all came, we all were kidnapped together. We were all brought in those slave ships together. We all had to work in those fields and those houses together. We all have gone through all kinds of atrocities together. We have each other. 
And what we cannot afford to do, which I think was the point, one of the points that the woman came bringing it back to that film, is this divide and conquer is, is the death of us. And so when a Viola Davis rises up, think about what she came from. Look what she had to go through, what she survived. You know what I mean? To get to this place, to be able to make a film like this is a remote. It's, it's, it's Black people, Karen, are miracles. Black <laughs> people, in spite of everything that's been thrown at us, we are miracles. The Black Panther film was a miracle. The Woman King is a miracle. Chadwick Boseman, knowing that he had cancer and still going to the very end of his life, making movies for us. And I knew Chadwick. I interviewed Chadwick, you know, and I also, I, I mean, the man was dying. And he still made films that were centered around us to the very end of his life. That's what Viola's doing. And it's our responsibility, those of us who don't have those talents. We all have a talent, right? We, are, we don't all have that particular talent. To support the people who are doing that, to, to your blueprint for what it looks like. You know, we don't all have the voice. We don't all have the writing ability. We don't all have the acumen or the intellect. But we all have something. We all have something. And, you know, maybe it's not dollars. Maybe it's just support. Maybe it's just the energy that you put out because we are magical. And there's an unseen world. There's an unseen world that is just as vast as the scene that we never tap into, but we must. That's our superpower. And I think that for me, I, I don't have an issue with healthy debate that is rooted in love and trying to, to your point, Karen, earlier, moving the needle forward. But when it, pardon me, when it's, when it's ugly and mean-spirited, and clearly black self-hatred manifesting itself over and over again with some of the stuff I've seen on social media, I'm like, this has nothing to do with solutions because it has to come back to, well, what is the plan? What is the solution? What do you actually want us to do here? You know what I mean? If the best you can do is just trash one black person after another and you can't see anything. Okay, let's, let's say Tyler Perry. If you don't like his films, well, I'm not a fan of Tyler Perry's films either. But what I can't ignore is he owns a studio <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of stuff happening there with black people. You know what I mean? And he's trying his best with, with his, with, I think his real gift is his business genius. It may not even be, it is. It is. it's not, it may is. not even be him as an artist, but the art helped him to get to his real genius, which is I'm a businessman or I, as Jay-Z said, I'm a business man. You know what I mean? That's what it is. But I think that, you know, we can't see that, you know, I, and, and even, you notice, I even stepped back and said, let me let me correct what I said about Dr. Gates. I was like, I'm not interested. Like, I very rarely call people out by names anymore, because I think that even that helps to perpetuate the divide and conquer. I mean, I'll say types of people. If I'm talking about certain types of people, you know, you call it trauma porn. I'm with you there. People who seem to need black people to be miserable. People only post videos of black folks getting murdered by the police. I'm like, man, how, you ain't got nothing else to post. You have nothing else to show other than look at this. I mean, like. I'm like, that says to me that you know that you're benefiting off of all the stuff that is hurting us, you know, and you know, we're going to react in a certain kind of way. And you know, the next thing you're going to do is say, here's the, here's the way you can donate and support this. And then, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. You know who all I'm right. talking about. So when we know better, we are responsible to do better. You can't sit in that yeah. same position, which is why I think a lot of people run away from, true knowledge because then they're required to do something like you just mentioned you 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 know my father used to say you're gonna get high blood pressure i got high blood pressure your mother had, and i was like i will never have high blood pressure and to this day i don't only have great blood pressure and low cholesterol despite mm. carrying a little bit too much weight because i made a conscious decision that i was not going to eat the way they ate 
And as a result, they didn't eat the way I eat. My mother still, my mother's amazing right now because she changed mm. her diet primarily because I wouldn't come over on Sunday unless there was salmon and broccoli mm-hmm. and vegetables. Uh, huh. we, we not going, we, we're going to eat fish and, and vegetables and then we've taken it to another level. But you know, this, now she's eating out of her garden. You know what I mean? Like the the, the levels to this and it's not too late. Like, you know, we've been fed these myths that are not true. Like white is right. But also that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's so that's some bull crap. Jack of all trades, master of none. That doesn't apply to us. We have no boundaries. We can master everything. And no matter what age you are, you can learn. You can change. You can be different. You know, there's a couple of you said that I want to respond to it. I think this is such a wonderful conversation. And thank you for even texting me today and asking me if I can do this, because I probably needed this conversation as much as anybody else. One, if I'm honest about it, Karen, um, 2015 and 2020 were five of the, wor- the five worst years of my life. You know, I went through a lot of personal stuff, went through a divorce. Uh, COVID happened, obviously. I lost a close friend literally two years ago this month to suicide, Sorry. a black male. Yes, ma'am. And um, who was on his way, brilliant, brilliant young brother, um, who I knew literally when he was a child, when he was born. Um, a lot of stuff happened, you know, deep depression, uh, thoughts of suicide. I'm being real with you here. And I'm someone who, like I said, veganism, you know what I've talked about through the years and and, and uh, uh, going to therapy for years, which I really believe in and other healing paths. And I literally probably gained about 40, 50 pounds that I had never gained in my life. And people are like, but you a vegan, Kev. Well, there's a lot of vegan junk food. Let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. You know, Facts. Which is why I, I don't, I'm not one of those crazy vegans who judges people because they eat me. I mean, it's, you know, what I realized what I was doing, Karen, was emotionally eating my way through depression and my friend's suicide and the COVID isolation we were experiencing two years ago when it was the, you know, when it really was that first year all that kind of stuff. And I just kept eating and eating and eating. And man, I started to feel very differently. And so I'm saying that what I also realized, which is why I think we got to give ourselves grace because of all the external stuff we have to deal with as human beings, no matter what our identities are, no matter what our race or culture is. But if we're talking specifically about black people, add some extra stuff to that. I understand why folks like, man, I just need something to take the edge off. Can I get a drink? Man, I just need that joint right now. I'm so glad they legalized marijuana in my state. Man, I just need, can we just stop at White Castle real quick or Popeye's real quick? You know what I'm saying? Man, can I just have another piece of that red velvet cake? Because it's like, we're trying to find joy any way we can. We're trying to find some relief for all this stuff that we have to deal with any way we can. And this is why, you know, I think it's important because I'm, I'm sharing this with you because I think your audience needs to hear it. Ain't nobody perfect out here. This stuff hurts. You know what I mean? It hurts. I remember, you know, think about it. It was May 2020, you know, literally while we're in ice, we're, we're in we're sheltering and we get this video across our screens of George Floyd being need to death for nine minutes. You know what I'm saying? And this is just a couple months after Breonna Taylor is shot in her bed in Kentucky. You know what I mean? And that's just a little bit after Ahmaud Avery, who was jogging in Georgia, is shot by some crazy white folks down there just because he was jogging in Georgia. You know what I mean? And so you can't tell me that this stuff doesn't do something to us in every situation, in every way, spiritually and, and, and emotionally. And I do think it contributes. I do believe it contributes to our physical health. I think everybody type is beautiful. I think everybody type is beautiful. You know what I mean? I don't get caught up in that. I think I applaud Lizzo for saying, you know what? I don't care what y'all said about me. I'm going to take back ownership of who I am. I'm not going to let you to tell. Just her, her, her work is no different to me than what Viola Davis said about being that little dark-skinned Black girl. You're not going to tell me that I'm ugly anymore. I don't care what you said to me. I'm taking ownership of my life. 
And I just think that, Karen, that's what it's about for us as a part of the plan, because when you start to do that individually, it starts to affect other people. So why your work is important with this radio show and the books and the group that you have is because you're, you've are you long ago said, I've got to do something differently. You know what I mean? I've got to, well, you were taught that. It was in you. I can be something that's empowering because I see examples of it and I need to let other people know that they can be empowered as well. But what we need to say to our people, especially is like, y'all, you know what? If you, I mean, I hear y'all. Y'all want to be on social media all the time. That's cool. Y'all want to talk bad about people. That's cool. But at the end of the day, when I die, Karen Hunter, I mean, I want people to say, you know what, Kevin Powell, he may not have been the per- perfect person in the world. He was honest. He tried to change as much as he could. And he helped somebody else other than himself. And he also did something for his life. So he didn't end his life where he started his life, which was in a bunch of confusion and misery and ignorance. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I want to hear more from you. So you got to come back maybe once a month if you can't come every week. But Kevin Powell, uh, yeah. You, you gave me life. I know you gave a lot of people. I'm seeing folk uh, sharing your story. I love you so much. I love you so much. And I, I love you, too. Thank I you. just, you know, and I love black women. I love black women. I love black women. And when I was watching The Woman King, man, I was so proud of Viola and Gina. And I don't care if people say, well, it was two white sisters who wrote the script and came up with the story idea. Well, guess what? Like you said, it was Viola Luza. There was John Brown. You know what I'm saying? There was Howard Zinn, who were the People's History of the United States. You know, I mean, I can go through a list of folks. I mean, we need allies too, y'all. You say you want people to help us, and then when they help us, then you don't want them to help us. And that speaks also to the confusion. Do you want help at times? Do you want support at times? Or do you not want help at times? You know what I mean? I'm not saying center them. We ain't centering them. And we know if you look at most of the interviews that are being done, it's Viola and Gina and the sisters, the sisters, the black sisters in the film. And that says something. And I'm like, yo, this film is incredible, man. I mean, it made me think about the fact that when, when I, back in the 90s, when Whoopi Goldberg was blowing up in a big way as a, as a box office star, you know, we know the color purple happened in the 80s. But I noticed that my mother kept going to see Whoopi Goldberg films. And then it hit me. And I'm trying not to cry here, Karen Hunter. Whoopi Goldberg is a dark-skinned black woman. My mother's a dark-skinned black woman. My mother was going to the theaters because she wanted to see herself. 